One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Back in September of 2021, when the United States Department of Justice announced an investigation into Georgia's prison conditions, my colleagues and I kept circling this problem. How could we get people on the outside of prison to care about what happens on the inside? I understand that it shouldn't be nice, but the things that we found in our reporting are horrific. The videos of murders, you're going to hear one today, and of fights and riots. I saw videos of people bleeding out in their cells. I heard stories of inmates using contraband phones to call 911 because there were no guards around. When I started interviewing people, it was overwhelming. Jessica Salagi and I decided to focus our reporting on Tattnall County, this county in southeast Georgia that has three prisons. And we decided to really hone in on one of those prisons, Smith State Prison, because the violence had crossed what they call the guards line. It was a way to illustrate how violence on the inside of prison can directly impact the communities around it, because murders on the outside of prison were linked back to an inmate on the inside. But in addition to the murders that Nathan Weeks and Christopher Sumlin were charged for, we also heard run-of-the-mill stories from Smith State Prison that were consistent with what we heard from other prisons. We heard about gang fights where multiple inmates were life-lighted out. We heard stories of inmates that were lit on fire in their mattresses and burned alive. We heard stories about inmates with unaddressed mental health problems. We read court documents about an inmate that was isolated and held naked in a shower for days before he committed suicide, even though his family had been trying to advocate for him. After the riot at Smith State Prison on February 8th, 2023, when Warden Brian Adams got arrested, I spoke with Deborah Slack, the mother of an inmate at Smith State that was brutally attacked that night. Her son was one of the inmates that got life-flighted to Savannah. She said that when she was finally able to see her son's body, she was shocked that he was alive because he had been stabbed so many times. My baby is cut everywhere but up under his feet. Stabbed in the heart. Thank God he's still here. Jonathan stabbed and both of his arms, like they're going up on his armpit. Jonathan is stabbed 
on the top, neck, sides, everywhere on his back. They tried to take Jonathan's arm off, his hand off. Jonathan is stabbed up everywhere. And he kept trying to tell me, mama, they tried to kill me. They had to cut his stomach open to make sure everything in there was still attached. They wouldn't let us take no pictures of his condition, but I have everything written down of his lacerations. My child got so many wounds, so many stabs from the head everywhere besides up under the bottom of his feet. And I don't know because I couldn't check the bottom of his feet. I'm Evie Wilson-Weatherby, and this is Prison Town. I'm reporting this with Jessica Salaji. This is our final episode of this season. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, I would encourage you to go back so that you can follow our reporting from the beginning. GBI agents discovered much more involving the prison, including two more allegedly related murders. Crime and contraband in a local prison. It was a true whodunit at the time. Can't believe I'm saying this. Sent the hitman to the wrong address. All the options are on the table. We don't know. Things like this don't happen in Glenville, Georgia. Early on in this reporting, I started talking with a contracted nurse at Smith State Prison. I met her online through a vague request to talk about prison conditions. And when I found out that she worked at Smith State, we kept in touch. I think we both understood how bad things were at Smith, and it made us nervous, so we kind of spooked each other a little bit. She would go a few weeks without responding to me, and then I would get a little bit nervous to meet with her in person. Because truthfully, once we started to realize how complicated this story was and how high up the corruption went— I wasn't sure who I could trust. I, we should just be safe. Yeah, I agree. Because we don't know her. We don't know her. Yeah. 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 I'm not going to use her name because I don't want to put her at risk. But she has worked as a nurse in corrections for 10 years. She worked in Florida before moving to Georgia. And then she worked at Smith State Prison. And one of my neighbors, when he found out that I was going to go work at Smith State Prison, he's like, don't do it. He's like, find a different prison. Don't go to that one. She spoke with us because she was so frustrated by what she saw on the inside. It's broken me. Like I told you, I want to continue to help, even if it means advocating from this side of it. I want to help. And she brought documents to our interview. She showed us medical papers where the Georgia Department of Corrections staff had falsified signatures making it look like inmates no longer needed care. There was paperwork where transports were denied, and a GDC staffer never even put their name on the paperwork, so you couldn't even figure out who did it. But, like, this one right here, that is a transportation refusal form. Like, see how this officer filled it out? Mm -hmm. This officer left it blank. Mm -hmm. How convenient. You don't know where it comes from. She explained that officers are supposed to check on inmates every 15 minutes to make sure that they're okay. But she also explained that it was physically impossible for these officers to do the 15-minute checks because with understaffing, each officer had to cover so much ground in the prison. One officer, and you think they're doing 15-minute checks? Absolutely not. But those logs are completed like they were, though. 
guarantee you the camera tapes don't match the logs. So once again, falsification of documentation is rampant throughout GDC. In our broader investigation, we spoke with families whose loved ones were murdered on the inside of Georgia's prisons. And it was difficult for families to get the proper paperwork to understand what happened. They might be told that there was a pending investigation or that they had to wait until someone was charged. I also spoke with Stephanie Lee. Her son, Justin Wilkerson, had less than a year before he was supposed to come home when he was murdered at Smith State Prison on January 5th, 2021 the same month that Jerry Lee Davis and Bobby Kicklider were murdered on the outside. The first time she spoke with Brian Adams, the warden at the time, was when he called her to report that her son had been killed. And when I met Warden Adams, he was, he seemed genuine. He apologized to me and told me verbatim that he failed to do his job to protect my son. He said that he had failed to do his job to protect her son. In his three and a half years as warden at Smith State, there were nine homicides, five suicides, and two deaths that were undetermined. And Brian Adams isn't the only warden that has statistics like this. In 2022, across all of the Georgia Department of Corrections facilities, there were 34 suicides, 19 homicides, and two deaths that they called accidental and they had 51 deaths that they categorized as undetermined. Before he ever got to Smith State Prison, Justin Wilkerson was at Phillips State Prison, just outside of Atlanta. And while he was there, his mother told me that Georgia Department of Corrections employees aided in the assault of her son. Two officers and a search officer. So there were three officers. They took Justin and his cellmate out of their out of their cell at night to a recreational cage outside so that it would be away from the cameras. They had his his roommate assault him while Justin was handcuffed. And then the and then the assault, uh, search officer assaulted Justin, um, you know, to his face, his ribs, his stomach, his legs. He poured hot water on him. And she only found out what happened that night because inmates called her using contraband phones. There's no words to describe. Uh, the only thing worse was to get the call that, you know, that he had his life had been taken. In Georgia, one of the best ways to get information about the Georgia Department of Corrections is to file an open records request. But ongoing investigations are exempt under the law. When I sent... The open records request, the only thing I received from them were the two incident reports. And they said that they couldn't you know, provide me any other information because it was protected by state secrets and that, you know, that there's an ongoing investigation. And when we interviewed investigative reporter Danny Robbins from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he got into this and he explained how requesting documents from the Georgia Department of Corrections can go. Most of their documents are heavily redacted and in some places redacted in, in ways that would go beyond. Uh, there's inconsistencies like, well, we can't give you that because of an outside it's an investigation or there's HIPAA or security. And then they might give you something else that you wonder, well, if, if security is an issue, why did they do this? 
Um, and the, the thing about open records is, okay, so they give it to you. And if you want to challenge it, it's a very, it's much more involved process. And you just cannot, it's very hard to call up a warden and ask a question. They won't, they, you know, they're going to refer you to media relations and then media relations is going to say, can you give us a, something in writing? And then they might get back to you with a very generic statement. Um, a couple times they've set me up, including this last time. Now, Tyrone Oliver just took over and I interviewed him. I don't think that's an everyday thing. Tyrone Oliver is the new commissioner of Georgia Department of Corrections. And the Georgia Department of Corrections did not give us an interview for this project. About a year ago, I reported a different story about the Georgia Department of Corrections. They had organized what they called a family day and allowed family members to meet with the Georgia Department of Corrections officials in person to ask questions around sentencing and pardons and paroles. It was a great event. But again, the Georgia Department of Corrections would not allow me to cover it. But lucky for me, they gave the wrong address for the event on their website. So I was able to stand in a parking lot and talk to families that were lost. And then I helped them find the actual event. The Georgia Department of Corrections can be opaque, and it's our tax dollars. They're housing our loved ones. They're housing people that are going to get out and rejoin our society. If you really think about it globally, if these places are going to be hell on wheels. What are these people going to be like when they are they like when they get out? Um, yeah, are they? Is is it doing anything? It's like people are going to in there and and becoming even more adverse to, you know, being uh, contributing people in society. And, and and I look at like Cofield or even Weeks. These were just run of the mill criminals offenders into the system who suddenly became, you know, almost mafioso types in there. But the experience on the inside is so horrific, and the conditions are so dire that people leave with PTSD and addiction problems. And it's easier for GDC to just make it more complicated for journalists and for families that are trying to find information. When the Federal Department of Justice asked for documents as part of their investigation, into Georgia's prisons, the Georgia Department of Corrections asked them to sign a non-disclosure agreement so that they wouldn't be able to share what they found. So many things about this story have been almost unbelievable. It started with the beloved Bobby Kicklider slaughtered in his bed in the middle of the night. Glenville was shocked, and they couldn't fathom who would kill this patriarch in their community, their town historian. And they never could have imagined that GBI agent Christian Johnson would connect the murder to an inmate at Smith State Prison, who had allegedly hired a hitman on a contraband cell phone. And then officials think he did the same thing a few weeks earlier to Jerry Lee Davis. And then again, but this time from the most locked down prison in the state of Georgia, from the special management unit. And we have one more almost unbelievable story for you, but we have to give you a little bit of context. A lot of the documents we needed for this reporting are not online. They're only available to access on one of the two computers in the clerk's office in the Tattnall County Courthouse. So you have to be there in person. And this is true of a lot of the smaller towns in Georgia, but it's still annoying. Jessica Salaji actually first spoke with Danny Robbins because he needed her to check on something. He couldn't be there in person. And I just needed to see if there'd ever been a charge filed Tattano County wouldn't even acknowledge that it was filed. 
And uh, the, the funny thing about Jessica was just, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at the courthouse tomorrow. I'll check it for you. So when you go to the Tattnall County Courthouse and you use their computer to search for Brian Adams, you'll find a document signed by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Christian Johnson, who asks the sheriff of Tattnall County to deliver Warden Brian Adams to law enforcement by February 8th, 2023. And it says that when Brian Adams was interviewed at the Glenville Police Department a year earlier, in April of 2022, he lied. He said that he had not been solicited by an inmate in the past 10 years. He denied any involvement with Nathan Weeks. And he said that he had nothing to do with bringing contraband into Smith State Prison. And so as we know, a year later, he was arrested. And a few days after he was arrested, after Smith State Prison had broken out into a riot in which multiple inmates were injured and one inmate was killed, Jessica Salaji got another phone call. And this time, it told her that law enforcement had swarmed the warden's house at Smith State Prison. So Jessica and her colleague Eric went. And they took a drone to see if they could photograph whatever was going on. This is Jessica telling me about that afternoon. The citizens of Tattnall County have been so good to me with information. I sat here for a minute and then I was like, I think we need to go. Like, I think, I think we need to go look. We haul butt over there and he sends the drone up and I mean, it's so windy and here's the GBI trying to do their job. Like they have people in waders in the water and they have this giant tarp laid out and we can see the spot from where we are. We just can't see what's on the tarp. And you can see the people moving around. You can see them in the water. They've dug this massive hole. And you, you, can, you can see all that, but you can't see what's on the tarp. And I was telling Eric, I was like, get lower. You have to fly down. He's like, I don't, I don't know how low I can go. And I was like, let's just push the limits. Like, go down swoop one time. Let me, let me see what's on that tarp, and then we'll leave. The photos that they got are wild. You could see shanks and long weapons and you could tell that there were technology devices like a tablet of sorts and cell phones that had been either buried in the hole or in the water on the warden's property. All of this stuff was found on the grounds of the prison at the warden's house. It's huge news that a warden was arrested. So the fact that in the wake of that, they were back at his house with all this equipment That's huge. I'm talking hundreds of items laid out on this tarp. Jessica Salaji has been reporting this from the very beginning. She explained that as the community found out all of these things that were stemming from Smith State Prison since Bobby Kicklighter's death, the contraband, the drugs, the hits, the corrections officers bringing in $29,000 in cash, the riots, the violence, with all of it, the community felt like the Georgia Department of Corrections wasn't doing anything about it. At least they didn't do anything publicly. After the preliminary hearing in September of 2021, I sat there and listened to everything that GBI agent Christian Johnson said on the stand. About how Nathan Weeks had allegedly hired a hit on a corrections officer from inside his cell at Smith State Prison. You know, I'm furiously typing and simultaneously writing notes. They were running potentially a multi-million dollar contraband ring. Um, Can't believe that this has happened. The 
hearing ends and someone walked over to me and was like, what do you think? And I was like, I want to know why the warden is the warden. She said that a while back at Rogers State Prison, which is also in Tattnall County, employees at the prison released an inmate in error. The inmate that got improperly processed and let go was supposed to be serving a life sentence. This was back in 2019. He left. He was sent out to the roadside. He was on the run for like four or five days. The U.S. Marshals helped capture him. And as soon as they had him in custody, they moved the warden. They didn't fire him because it was an error, no matter how egregious the error. Um, But they moved him because the optics of leaving him there were so bad. And yet Brian Adams remained at the helm. And that was unconscionable to me. I just could not wrap my head around that. They did eventually do something. On the same day he was arrested on charges of racketeering and corruption, the GDC fired him. We know that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation believes that he was working with inmates like Nathan Weeks to bring contraband into Smith State Prison to sell to other inmates. So yes, the fact that the warden got arrested is unique. But much of the violence, issues around contraband and understaffing, issues with inadequate documentation and medical access, all of those things reflect similar stories that we've heard from other prisons across the Georgia Department of Corrections. When we interviewed investigative journalist Danny Robbins, we asked him for trends because he has reported widely across the prisons in Georgia. He's the journalist who broke the story about Arthur Lee Cofield Jr., who impersonated a billionaire and embezzled millions of dollars while at the special management unit. He had done a lot of reporting on Georgia's prisons back in 2015. And he said that what he's seeing now is very different than what he saw eight years ago. I rarely heard people say, uh, I think my life's in danger. I've been violated in a certain way. I, I, I never got, you know, you would hear some of that, but not, not much. I never was coming away. I mean, you knew it was, it was prison and it could be a violent place, but not what I'm seeing now. And I've seen since, you know, in the last uh, year and a half plus, it's just a whole new realm. How is it so different now? So when you say that, like, what is it that you're seeing now that's so jarring? The violence, the extortion, the drugs, the contraband, and just the general fear that nobody's looking in on anything, that your life could be snuffed out at any minute. Um, the, just the absolute fear that, that, that grips a lot of these places. And that was not really revealing. That was not revealed much to me back back when I was doing that previous reporting. It's, it's just seems like a much more violent and dangerous environment. It seems like Georgia's prisons really are in a crisis. So what could the Georgia Department of Corrections do about it? We'll be right back after this. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. TheGeorgiaVirtue.com is an online news publication based in Southeast Georgia. Our daily content focuses on local government, the justice system, and public corruption. Visit thegeorgiavirtue.com to subscribe to our newsletter for the latest headlines and updates. When Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, announced that they'd be closing Georgia State Prison, he also announced that they'd be closing other outdated facilities. Four older prisons would be replaced by two new ones, and it would cost the state $600 million. Governor Kemp explained, quote, our aging prison facility infrastructure was not intended to house the level of offender who resides there today, and it requires higher levels of staffing and facility maintenance to manage these dangerous environments, quote. So the plan is to buy a newer prison and then build a brand new one that has 3,000 beds. Remember, our state has 47,000 inmates, and this isn't just a problem at Smith State Prison or the Special Management Unit. The violence is pervasive throughout the state. This story has corrections officers that are dating inmates and bringing in contraband like drugs, cell phones, weapons like shanks and machetes, and even $29,000 in cash. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation found hundreds of items hidden away at the warden's house on prison grounds. Hundreds of shanks, blocks of drugs, cell phones. Whatever was happening at Smith State had gotten out of hand. So what could the Georgia Department of Corrections do about it? In the months that we've been reporting the story, different people mentioned the same solutions over and over again. The first thing that we have to do is combat understaffing. You're seeing like one one officer overseeing a, a building with two dorms in it. This is journalist Danny Robbins. And so you have to start with that because, you know, if nobody's looking in, you know, it, that has allowed gangs to take a much, much bigger presence. And then you add in the contraband, and a lot of that is drugs. And from there, you get this extortion where, look, you've got to pay me for this. One of the most unbelievable things to me that I had never seen before, but we see so prevalent now in y'all's reporting and what I've seen, is the reach of prison inmates into the community, calling the shots on murders, literally calling up loved ones and saying, I'm going to disfigure your daughter if you don't pay me. 
that is is truly chilling. This is District Attorney Wright Barksdale again. The whole idea of prisons is that people have made decisions to violate the law. And I'm not talking about a theft by taking, okay? I'm talking about the people that are career criminals, people that have shown a propensity for violence. The idea is that we remove them from society. You should care because at this point, at this juncture in time, the idea that we're safe because these people are locked up isn't necessarily true anymore. Technology and other things have enabled these inmates to to continue to conduct business. We've got people that we've sent to prison for harassment, for, for stalking. They're still contacting their victims on phones and spoofing numbers and that kind of stuff. We get this all the time. We get it all the time. We'll call the Department of Corrections and say, hey, I think this guy's got a phone because he's reaching out to our victim. So the public should care on a number of different fronts. One, because they are, those inmates are humans. And two, they should care because the, the crisis, the current crisis, that's a complex issue that revolves around low pay, not, not being able to staff the, the prisons, you know, the cell phones, the contraband, the corruption, all those things impact our communities. And you have to remember that understaffing doesn't only allow for unsupervised violence, but it also impacts programs that are offered to inmates. I think at this point, what what the department's going to have to do is they're going to have to substantially increase the pay of of the people that are managing these facilities. Okay, that's that's number one. And I'm not talking about a $10,000 raise. I'm talking about these folks are going to have to be paid $80,000, $90,000. There was a time way back when Milledgeville had a ton of state jobs. And there was a time that good, blue-collar, working folk wanted those state jobs. It, they were sought-after positions. And we've gotten away from that. Okay, and, and so if you look at how much they're getting paid, or rather how little they're getting paid, Who are you going to attract? What kind of quality are you going to attract? And one of the members of the Board of Corrections is actually from Tattnall County. His name is Wayne Dasher. I interviewed him about the ongoing staffing shortages, and this is what he said. It's just a a challenge every day um, because of the, you know, I I don't know, not in an ugly way, but, you know, just seems like people that can't get a good job sometimes are the ones that, that gets a prison job. You know what I'm saying? Governor Kemp recently approved a pay bump of $2,000 for corrections officers, lifting their starting salaries to around $40,000. But we still have massive staffing shortages. When you don't have enough people it allows for a lot to happen unsupervised. Even with more cameras, you need to have more people watching those cameras. I spoke with multiple families that wondered 
why a corrections officer didn't step in to help their loved one. Well, corrections officers are outnumbered. They're also scared. This is District Attorney Wright Barksdale again. I prosecuted a, a murder case at a Hancock State in 2017 where a gang member, a blood gang member, was killed because he was a homosexual. He was killed by his own gang. He was m- brutally murdered right in front of a 130-pound correctional officer that had a baton and a set of keys and a radio. She was in a dorm with 96 inmates. She watched them murder this guy, and there was nothing she could do. There was nothing she could do except call for an ambulance. I'm going to play the audio from when he showed me this video. It was really hard to watch, so this might be difficult to listen to. What you're going to see is you're going to see people start walking in almost a single file line right here. You see all these people clearing out? Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. All right, here they come. Our victim's in the shower here. All right. Guard right here. Does she know? No. He's slipping on his own blood right there. That's blood all over the floor. She has a radio is all she has. And she's running for her own sake. He's, he's literally, that's blood. He ends up passing out right here, and he dies before he's ever heli- helicoptered out. This is happening monthly somewhere in the state, the state system. You've got one guard per 96 inmates. They own those guards. That's what I hear the most is, please don't, please don't forget that there are honest corrections officers that work there. That's Jessica Salaji again. And what I tell them is, I know that's why it's important that we talk about this, because they deserve better. Like, the community deserves better, the corrections officers deserve better, the inmates deserve better. Everyone deserves better. So guards are vastly outnumbered, and contraband phones allow inmates to communicate illegally on unmonitored lines. We've got to be more aggressive in our prosecution of these cases, but by goodness, you're looking at an eight-county circuit that I'm in, and the state of Georgia's given me seven attorneys. That's one less than what I have counties. There are inmates that have addiction problems because of how many drugs are readily available inside of our prisons. This breeds violence on the inside, and it bleeds out to impact families on the outside, who are then extorted for money to pay for it. All of this is negotiated on contraband phones because they aren't monitored. And there's actually already a solution for this. The Department of Justice tested micro-jamming technology at a prison in Maryland back in 2018. And it worked. These little jammers were able to disrupt wireless signals, so it made contraband phones inoperable. The people that we spoke with are requesting to jam cell phone signals across the entire prison. So prosecute the people that bring in contraband and then jam the technology to make it useless. 
where we're running into to a roadblock, one of the things is that the federal government will not allow the state of Georgia to put cell phone jammers at these prisons. That's number one. That's what's got to happen. That those prison facilities to be secure in the modern time in which we live in. But the FCC won't allow jammers. There's a federal law against it. They argue that the technology could interfere with emergency communications for police, fire, and EMS. Those jammers don't just stop. Those jammers will bleed outside the walls. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Which means if you live near a prison, now you may not have cell phone service. But I believe that that is what is going to be necessary in, in, in a modern time to cutting down on inmates' ability. People who live next to Smith State Prison could lose their cell phone reception, but then they could also use landlines. And if you're driving by a prison and you got a flat tire, you could walk to a place where you did have cell phone reception to help. But the FCC cannot waive this without a change in the law by Congress, and people are advocating for it. Georgia's Attorney General Chris Carr is one of 21 attorney generals asking congressional leaders to allow for jammers in correctional facilities because the situation in Georgia's prisons is so dire. It would go a long way. It would go, it would just be unbelievable. Just that alone, I believe, would substantially increase the safety within our prison system. In our reporting, people would frequently bring up cell phone jammers because with contraband phones, inmates have unfettered access to the outside world. When they first tested out jammers in prisons, the Federal Department of Justice explained that across the country, contraband phones have been used by inmates to direct gang activity, run criminal enterprises, distribute child pornography, intimidate witnesses, and facilitate the commission of violent crimes. We knew that back in 2018. But if we do jam phones, we also have to find a way to not isolate inmates from their families. Now, prisoners can talk to their families on prison phones, but the price is exorbitant and prohibitive. So why not make telephone calls completely free on monitored lines so that families can communicate with their loved ones and keep an eye out for them? Justin Wilkerson's mom spoke to him daily. I could tell if his speech started becoming rapid, if he started talking about God, you know, he would, he would start having fly of ideas, you know, if he would start talking in third person. I mean, there were things that I knew, you know, that he, he was having difficulties. The city of New York allows free phone calls from jail. Connecticut passed a law back in 2021 that made it the first state to offer free calls from correctional institutions. Starting just this year, in January of 2023, California made all calls from standard institution wall phones and tablets free for anyone incarcerated in the state. They said that it's because of how important it is to maintain positive bonds between incarcerated people and their loved ones. Jose Morales, who we interviewed in our last episode, was a warden at the Georgia Department of Corrections for 12 years, and he understood this. At his previous lower security institutions, he hosted family days 
where he catered food and allowed inmates and other families to dance and to touch. He understood that people were less likely to come back to prison if they had family support when they got out, and they were less likely to misbehave if they had something to look forward to, to live for. Sometimes you have to bridge the gap between the family and the inmate. The mothers, the fathers, the brothers, the sisters, the cousin, uh, the, the, the wife, girlfriend, whatever the relationship was. I would allow them to have touch, meaning, you know, no sex or that crazy thing, but kissing them and embracing them. And then I would put on the music, allow them to, uh, to dance, mother and son, uh, husband and daughter. And so they, they really enjoyed that. Uh, and the fact that uh, I did it for them gave me clout. Uh, they respected me. So they knew I really cared for them. But they also knew that uh, I didn't put up with any BS. Now, when, whenever we had programming, I would invite the family to sit down with their husband and both be involved in the rehabilitation process. Uh, we also had parenting classes. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, you, you, you have to have some way of connecting the family so that when they get out, there's a family member that's going to take them. Everyone we interviewed said this. They said that we should care about what happens inside our prisons because, well, why wouldn't we? If we're a community that cares, then you should care about what's happening inside our prison system because those are human beings. It's, they're locked away and they throw away the key and they forget about them. And they're people and they matter. They matter. They matter. They have families that they matter and they belong to. The Georgia Department of Corrections are failing on two fronts. They're unable to protect the inmates that they're responsible for from violence. And they can't protect us from the inmates because their prisons and policies have not kept up with technological advances. Many of Georgia's prisons reached record high temperatures last summer because a lot of them don't even have air conditioning or heat. They'll pass out ice if that tells you anything about where they're at with technology. And now they're unprepared for how inmates use cell phones. And most of the public doesn't know. I told you early on that this podcast was a case study, that we would look at Smith State Prison to better understand the Georgia Department of Corrections. Even the most high-max lockdown facilities are not secure. Cell phones are a dime a dozen. Well, they usually cost a few thousand dollars and you have to pay on Cash App first. And the Georgia Department of Corrections makes it harder for people on the outside to know what's happening on the inside. They asked the Federal Department of Justice to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And when a mom asked for an incident report from when officers allowed her handcuffed son to be beaten, they told her they had to protect state secrets. While all of these stories surrounding Smith State Prison are wild and hard to believe, I hope that we've communicated how rampant these issues are across the Georgia Department of Corrections. How inmates freely use cash apps to transfer, extort, and make money. Like in Arthur Cofield's case, millions of dollars. And for Nathan Weeks, 
we know that he moved $30,000 on cash apps at Georgia's Maximum Security Special Management Unit. And we have the solutions. As we were wrapping up our reporting just last week, another fight broke out at Smith State Prison on Monday, March 27, 2023. It was the same day that the Federal Department of Justice was visiting Smith State Prison as part of their investigation. Louis Levine actually texted us because he heard it on the radio. And remember, Warden Adams was fired, so there's a new person in charge. But the same issues persist. Six people were transported to nearby hospitals, five by ambulance, and one was life-lighted out. We requested the 911 calls. It's haunting. Yeah, this is Ms. Johnson from Smith State Prison Medical. Uh-huh. We're going to need another ambulance. One just left. I know you got another one on the way. We're going to need a third one, please, ma'am. Uh, ma'am, we've already got a third one on the way, and I've got two more mutual aid ones coming. Okay, just making sure. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. You're welcome. Bye. They had to call in ambulances from surrounding counties. Tad on 911. Yes, ma'am. We need another EMS at Smith State Prison. Okay, what's going on? They had, um... The uh, inmates are fighting. Okay, each other. They got to come all the way from Collins now, but we're okay. going to get them there. They got we got two, yeah, okay. we got two already there. They said I already got two already here. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. I appreciate okay. it. Okay, uh-huh. bye-bye. Bye-bye. They had to call in more officers from other prisons because they were so understaffed. They didn't have enough guards to transport wounded inmates to the hospital. An inmate called 911 because there were no guards in the dormitory. Tad no 911. And we're at State Prison where we, we just got attacked with the knife. We need help now. Sir, so we got help out there. We, there's no officers here. Sir, we got help. What, what's going on? Now, a riot popped off. They, they snuck on us in the morning. A lot of a lot of homies are very injured. Some are bodily dead. Please hurry up. Bye. Okay, is they still in the cell? And these are our tax dollars at work. These are our citizens. So now you know what we know. You know that prosecutors believe that while Nathan Weeks was an inmate, he used contraband phones and corrections officers to pay people on the outside for three murders. They believe that he was involved in bringing contraband into prison to sell to other inmates. Drugs, phones, weapons. This economy at Smith State Prison was so strong that they think the warden, Brian Adams, was in on it. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation found hundreds of contraband items, including hundreds of shanks, at the warden's house on prison property. And all of these cases that we've been following are currently making their way through the court system. In Tattnall County, four people were charged with the murder of Bobby Kicklider. Prosecutors are seeking the death penalty for two of those defendants. So now, Christopher Sumlin and Nathan Weeks are waiting for death penalty pretrial proceedings. In Wayne County, Christopher Sumlin was charged with the murder of Jerry Lee Davis, but they have yet to indict this case. In Long County, Dennis Kraft, Keisha Jones, and Nathan Weeks were charged with the murder of Jessica Gerling. Former corrections officer Erion Moore 
and former warden Brian Adams are currently waiting for their trials to begin. Prison Town is produced by Jessica Solagi and me, Evie Wilson-Weatherby. Supported by the Center for Collaborative Journalism at Mercer University and the Georgia Virtue. Original theme song composed by Francois Byers. Story consulting by Debbie Blankenship and Caleb Slinkard. A special thank you to Louis Levine, Sheriff Kyle Sapp, Rachel Schaff, Sophie Gratis, and to Jonathan Weatherby for the graphics and for getting this project over the finish line. In this episode, you heard interviews from Deborah Slack, Stephanie Lee, Jessica Salagi, Wright Barksdale, Jose Morales, and Danny Robbins. If you're looking for more information, go to prisontownpodcast.com. We'll have links to all of the original reporting, including the drone photos from the warden's house. You can also follow us at PrisontownUSA on Instagram. We post videos. Reported with Jessica Salagi, I'm Evie Wilson-Weatherby, and this is Prison Town. <laughs>